Thanks for joining us as a listener to our Hidden Kingdom podcast. With each episode, I'll be talking to speakers, poets, songwriters, artists, entrepreneurs, and friends I've made down through the years as a worship leader, hearing their stories and how they communicate in their various spheres of influence. These are conversations to inspire us to think more deeply and more imaginatively about how we use our own gifting to make known facets of the hidden kingdom to the modern world. I've had the privilege of knowing Wayne Drain as a friend for over 40 years. Though widely travelled, he has served most of that time in a pastoral role in Russellville, Arkansas. Recent times have seen him operating in a more itinerant role. He operates with the uncanny ability to hear from God, releasing words of encouragement and vision in a way that many would describe as prophetic. This, combined with his musical gifting in songwriting and worship leading, make for a fascinating gift mix and an obvious person to talk to in this Hidden Kingdom series. So it's wonderful to have my friend Wayne Drain uh, here today. And uh, hello, Wayne. Welcome. Hey, Dave. Thank you very much. This is a really exciting thing to be talking to you because I've known you for such a long, I think it's about 40 years, actually. I know. I know. I, was, I just pulled out an old album the other day, uh, Dave Bilbro, uh, live at uh, the Albert Hall. Okay. Old, old brown eyes. What, one of those early, old, old brown eyes. Yes, I remember that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I remember I my songs there. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember when we first met. Um, it was in America. I came over with some friends of mine, Nick Butterworth, Mick Pen, and immediately uh, meeting you and your crowd. I uh, felt very much at home because they had the same heart for creativity, for expression of, of, of music in, in new ways and fresh ways. And you were kind of spearheading that in Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, tell me a bit about your background, because how did you first start to get into things uh, when it came to music and, and family? Well, I was a, I was a musician uh, in, when I was a teenager. I uh, saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and that just sort of showed me what I was going to do. And um, I had a band and was playing, and and um, and I started going to a little Bible study hmm. uh, at a local Methodist church. Yeah, I think probably because I saw a beautiful blonde there named June. <laughs> and uh, so we started seeing some things happen. Got you know, got our hearts right with the Lord, and then I went to university in Russellville, Arkansas, Arkansas Tech University. Mm. And uh, the Jesus movement broke out, which mm. you, you may have heard of. And it was hundreds of kids getting saved. And it was all about music and all about fellowship and all about evangelism. And so mm. our church grew off that campus ministry. And so I, uh, I started, uh, I was what then was called a contemporary Christian artist. And then I, uh, uh, started playing in different festivals and various things, even as the church was growing out of our living room. Mm. And uh, uh, then I came to England, and uh, I saw that uh, you guys were more into worship than into yeah. contemporary Christian music, and I and I absolutely loved it. And 
the Lord spoke to me and said, this is where I want you to go. So, so there's a lot of God stuff going on, meeting you mm. and the other guys. And so I, I led the church for 45 years and just turned it off to another guy a couple of years wow. ago. And now I'm traveling again pretty yeah, much full time. Yeah. So it's been quite a journey for you. But I think what I, what I really enjoyed when I first met you was that sort of organic feel of, of the Christianity that, that you were expressing. It was relational. Uh, songs were being yes. written out of the now rather than just in the past or even uh, expectations about the future. It was what was happening amongst you that was very, very special. And I think sometimes with our songwriting, we've lost that sense of community in, 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 in what happens. I know you were elevating other, other songwriters as well as yourself in, in that role. In fact, you did a, a, an album, a cassette, if I remember, called uh, Sounds from the South or something. Praises, Praises from the, from the South, the South. light blue cover. I remember that and treasured yeah. it, and it had some great songs on it. So this whole thing about music, it was very much in your family, was it, before you became a Christian, before you became a follower of Christ? Yes, I, uh, I played in uh, high schools and clubs and bars mm. and various things, and I had a band called, called uh, what was, there? It was the High Tide. <laughs> And then later on, I had a band called Summerfield. And then after that, it was pretty much Wayne Drain and yeah, band. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was playing, you know, pretty much just for the money to put myself mm -hmm. through college. And we had, we had a little bit of success in our region and uh, enjoyed mm -hmm. it. Uh, but one day I looked up and just realized uh, the environment I was in was not right. healthy. Right. And, uh, and the Lord really just gently began to pull me out of that and, and say to trust yeah. him. And uh, so that's what See, happened. we think that Jesus movement was California and West Coast America, but it actually spread right down uh, all the way. Um, and it was in Arkansas very much. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, evangelism was at the heart of the Jesus movement. And so in California... West Coast, when those guys got saved, they just got in their Volkswagen vans and or they just got out and hitchhiked and they went all over America telling people their story. And so primarily it seems they hit college mm -hmm. campuses. Mm -hmm. And so I think the Jesus movement started in the mid 60s, but it didn't get to us in Arkansas till about okay. 71 or okay. 72. So. And it was, you know, some of the singers at that time we were involved with was mm -hmm. like Keith Green, Second Chapter of Acts, uh, people like that, Andre Crouch. And we'd have these big open air festivals. And, and uh, that's how we got to uh, that's how we got to meet yeah. each other and get to know. And they each would other. tend to be evangelistic in content. A lot of them, you know, the songs would be declaring, declaring yes. who God is to yep. hopefully the non-believer. Yeah. Uh, but it was a tremendous yeah. move in, in those days. And I think, you know, creativity, freshness comes out of a move of God, doesn't it? We've seen it all through history and we're seeing it again. Mm. Uh, new songs being written to declare what, what, what's happening. You're a very interesting character, Wayne, because you've got this prophetic anointing, but you have a pastoral side in what you do and you're a musician. I mean, that is quite a package that you, you carry. And I, I want to sort of dig into the, the, this prophetic side of, of what you do, because, um, you know, I suppose somebody listening would, they're either in the charismatic camp and they would know straight away what we're talking about, the prophetic. There are others who might be listening who think, well, 
when someone is a prophetic person, maybe it's just kind of Keith Green, we have Garth Hewitt singing about justice issues, uh, and that is prophetic as well, very much. But you kind of zone in, move in the personal prophecy area particularly, something that kind of developed out of, I think, the latter rain movement in the, in the, the, the 50s. Uh, you, you saw various characters come through. And how did you begin to operate in that realm? Well, the night that I uh, was filled with the Spirit, uh, a man had a prophecy for me, and he said, uh, there's a call of God on your life, and you'll do two things. You will pastor a church, and you'll prophesy to nations. Wow. Neither of those was on my agenda, by mm -hmm. the way. Uh, but as that began to work out and the church was growing out of my wife, June, and our home, uh, I started pastoring people, which was just caring for people. And the prophecy bit, I wasn't sure how that looked or what that was exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, but I met a man named Laddie McDonough uh, from Joplin, Missouri, and I really hit it off with him and he with me and he became a mentor and he was out of the latter rain movement mm. and so i was his worship leader for about three years mm -hmm. i would travel with him and and he would uh, preach and prophesy and i would lead worship and then just in increments he brought me uh, along in my understanding of the prophetic and mm. uh, encouraged me to begin to prophesy which is basically just speaking out loud what you're hearing mm -hmm. And he told me some interesting things like, you know, look, when you look at people and see their face, uh, the Lord may speak to you about them and then just be bold and, and tell mm. what you see. So, so I had that wonderful opportunity to be with him. Uh, a lot of folks in, in the Jesus movement didn't have mentors, and yeah. so a lot of them didn't make it. Mm. So I was real, very fortunate. And then I came to Wales uh, in the early, late 70s. And met a guy named uh, uh, Graham Perrins, who was a great yep. Bible teacher yep. and, and a prophet. And we traveled together for some months. So I had the, I had the benefit of those two men mm. helping me to figure out what this gift was. I think when I was this, young, uh, I would just know things. Yeah. I think this um, mentoring thing is really fundamental, really. I mean, I, I met Latin McDonald, and he was an unusual character. Yeah. Uh, he would give it to you straight. You know, I, I remember being in one meeting with him where he, he went for it on the first meeting and people were frightened to be in the front row just in case of what he might deliver to them. And, uh, um, you know, he had a certain style, um, but it's these characters that nurture and develop our gift, I think, is so important, isn't it? Uh, friends and mentors. Well, he, he, he scared me when I first saw him. He's wearing a black suit and tie and big glasses, and he carried the biggest Bible I've ever seen, and he, and he mm. prophesied in King James language. Yeah. And yeah. none of that registered with me, but mm. I intuitively knew there was something there. And as I got to know him, he was just, he looked like and talked like those that he ran with in the latter rain movement. That's yeah. how they dress. That's how yeah. they talk. Yeah. But he was uh, discerning enough to see that God could speak to people that looked a lot different and mm. use different terminology than he did. So he, mm. he, his coming toward me was as, probably as difficult as my coming toward him. <laughs> so I really think it was a God thing because I'm sitting there with long hair and you know long beard, and and, uh, and he's there in a full suit and tie, and yeah. Yeah. we couldn't have 
couldn't have been much more diverse. It's interesting because I was talking to Graham Kendrick about this uh, very subject that um, opposites, you know, attract when it comes to ministry. And uh, Graham associated himself in his early years with two characters that were very, very different in personality. Um, but somehow it brought out the best in both of them and uh, working in that way. And seeing the anointing upon somebody, I think it, it is a very, very important thing. So that began to rub off on you, and uh, you began to move in that area uh, alongside your music and your, your pastoring at, at that time. Um, can you describe for somebody who's just starting out, uh, what do you look for? You said about looking at people's faces. What, what happens with you when you start to feel something from the Lord? if I can put it that way. Well, it, it's not as weird as people like to think. We're comfortable with terms like a hunch, intuitive. Sometimes we just know something's right or something's wrong. Mm. Um, so there's a knowing inside. Uh, the mm. trick is trying to get that out mm -hmm. through whatever gift that you have. Mm. And what helped me was seeing in the scripture that God does speak. You know, he said in Job 33, God does speak now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it, dreams, visions, various ways. And then in John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep will listen to my voice. Mm. So those are funda fundamental scriptures for me, one, to believe that God does speak and wants to speak, and two, that I can listen and I can hear his voice. Yes. And so the as that carries on and that understanding, you not only believe that he can speak, you hear him, he starts to nudge you to speak out. Mm. So my first words over people were probably awkward, like the first songs I wrote were yeah, awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but I just began to, you know, practice. I began, I was with a group of friends that wouldn't mind if I made a mistake or flubbed around. I think today there's a real performance culture. You have to be mm. perfect uh, mm. uh, before you can do anything. You have to have mm. the the lighting just right and the sound just right. But in those days, we didn't, we didn't bother with those things. So I, it's very good for me. But I would say to people today, uh, God does speak. He's still speaking. He wants to speak to you even more than you want him to speak. And he mm. will speak through you as well as to you. Yeah. And one of the, but two safeguards is one, know what the Bible says about prophecy. And two, find a mentor that you can trust. Yeah. and let them help you. Mm -hmm. And we see through a, a glass darkly, don't we? I mean, with, with prophecy, you know, our standards, oh, you've got to be 100% right, but often it's, it's a seed of something uh, yeah. that you're birthing in, in somebody. So anyone listening, you know, this idea, it's not just about us singing our praises to God and receiving something of his compassion into our lives, but it's about actually allowing God to speak through us, as, you, uh, as you've said. <laughs> And uh, being prepared sometimes to make some mistakes, but you've seen some wonderful things happen as well as you've, as you've moved out. I mean, I would like to share personal testimony. You've spoken into my life on a number of occasions, Wayne, with your yellow pad. And what I find helpful is that you do write out these things in, in a yellow pad because in the, in the moment, you know, with everybody's eyes on you, when, when somebody with a prophetic word is speaking, 
uh, you start to think, how am I standing? Am I looking right? Am I receiving this right? And you're, you're distracted by the things around, uh, whereas you get the nub of it often. But um, when you helpfully write out these things, it, it really um, is something to take away and savor and, and judge because we have to judge, don't we? I mean, yes. there are some weird, wacky things around in the church today, and we know about those. But um, I think it was about a year ago, just over a year ago, I was at a worship uh, conference with a small group of uh, worship leaders. It was an international uh, conference, and you'd flown over from America, and you were part of that company. And on the last day, I think it was, you shared some words to many of the people there, and um, certainly wrote out on your yellow pad some words for me, and I could see you looking over in my direction. And um, what you shared was about in my living room, that there were some jewels that would be uh, coming out and uh, old and new, but hymns and songs and, and spiritual songs that would be a blessing uh, to people from my living room. And you uh, uh, emphasized that uh, quite a lot. Our living room, I should say, because it was directed at Pat as well. And, um, you know, like some of these words, you, you sort of take them and you receive them and you're thankful for them, but you don't really know the full implications. And a year later, um, the lockdown happened in the United Kingdom well, worldwide, and we were all suddenly in a situation where, my goodness, what could we do? Um, no one could go out. Uh, church services were stopped, etc., etc. And I felt a stirring in my heart. Yeah, wouldn't it be good just to start a, a concert, just to do, because I think this is the calling we have as Levites to raise up a spirit of praise, especially in difficult situations. So I started a, a concert in my living room because I could get the best audio sound uh, that way. And uh, it seemed to be well received. So I did another one and then another one. And I think it was about the third one through. And I'm glad it was the third one. I looked at my pad, I looked at my uh, desk one day and I saw the yellow sheet on there, which I had beside it, and read it out and I thought, hey, this rings true, this is, and um, this seems to be the fulfilment of the word that I was given. And in fact, now, uh, well, as I speak, we're on our 10th uh, week. Uh, so, you know, thank you for that, Wayne. And I think it's important to have the stories uh, of what God can do because sometimes you don't see the implications of them at the time. Can you give us any more stories of encouragement? Uh, well, I remember the day that I had that word for you. We were in that conference, and and I just looked over and saw you and Pat there, and uh, and I prayed. I said, Lord, I'd like to encourage them. Is there anything you have for me to say? And mm. I just immediately started writing down. And the first thing I heard was, uh, they're full of treasure, and mm. I want to get that treasure out. Mm. So that's how the word sort of developed, and mm. I gave it to you publicly. Mm. I put it on that yellow piece of paper so it could be examined, as 1 Thessalonians tells us to do. Mm. Uh, but um, there's lots and lots of stories uh, down through the years. Mm. Um, uh, I have, I've had words for people of caution, words of encouragement, 
but there's three things that are always uh, should be part and parcel of a prophetic word mm. that they would encourage and strengthen and comfort. Yeah. Some yeah. people think yeah. they will judge or embarrass, and that's mm. never the intent of a New Testament prophecy. Mm-hmm. So that's the filter. And so I'm very thankful to hear your response and to see what you're doing and to, and to know that it's been an encouragement to you and Pat. Thank you. Thank you. Now, there's a, a poet uh, that I very much like from um, America called Lucy Shaw. And uh, I do think that poetry and, and prophecy, uh, they, they all come under the banner of this, the troubadour, the seers, the storytellers. It's all in that kind of area of the prophetic. And I was reading something, uh, an interview she did uh, recently, and, and, and she said these words, a poet writes out should write out more than they know and uh, as i read it i thought this is this is this is almost like the prophetic it's writing out more than you know uh it and and i guess with with yourself and i you know i've moved in that area myself um not to the extent you have but you know you speak out the words, you don't realize the implications sometimes, or sometimes you just get started with an impression, a feeling of something, and then you, you push it out. Uh, is that right? Is that how it is? You start, I mean, I think you, you've given it to me with the treasure story of the living room. Uh, you, you, you're speaking out more than you know. You're starting with something and then you're going, going that little bit further. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it, um, it was scary when I first started prophesying over people because I was concerned, would they make decisions, mm. uh, life decisions based on something I give? And, and that was a little, little yeah. concerning to me. And I heard the Lord just quote a scripture to me. Uh, if you'll open your mouth, I'll fill it. Mm-hmm. So it, requ- it required a step of faith for me mm. to look over at you and see that here they're full of treasures. Mm. And that's all I had. Mm. And then I had a picture of you and Pat in your living room. And then I just began to speak from what I heard and what I saw. Yeah. And so I told you more than I knew yep. exactly what she yep. said. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's really cool. Re- really good. Thank you. So the prophetic is stirred by something deep within you. Um, I was reading something, uh, again, poetry, but I was reading um, a book of uh, prayer poems uh, the other day. And the writer talked about um, prayer moods, prayer moods. And I thought that that is a wonderful way of um, expressing poetry, but also the prophetic, because sometimes the prophetic people are feeling people. So does that mean people you've encountered, they have highs and lows sometimes, uh, or are they all fairly stable, analytical people? They feel with emotions. Well, everyone has highs and lows. Some are just better at covering it up. Um, yeah, but I think a certain amount of sensitivity to write poems, to write songs, to mm. uh, uh, to prophesy. I would I would put all those things together, and it uh, you have to you have to open up uh, that box of creativity that is also full of insecurity. Yeah. So you have to push through that. What are folks going to think of me? Are they yeah. going to like the song? Is this word going to hit? Mm. So so. I, I feel the Holy Spirit uh, in Scripture talks about some of his moods. He could be grieved easily. Mm-hmm. So that, that part of the Godhead 
that's in touch with the feelings and the sensitivities, I think, would be the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so I try, I try really, uh, if I'm having a mood that, uh, that I become aware of, that I'm not sure why I'm having that mood, instead of just thinking, oh, gosh, I'm depressed or whatever, now I just think, Lord, are you trying to say something? Mm. Are are you giving me something in my uh, in my emotions mm. that you're trying to speak through? And often it'll be a burden that I let me know that I'm caring for someone or something. Mm. So I've learned to listen to my feelings, but by basing everything uh, in a biblical understanding and, and having a community of people around me that aren't too impressed with me, yeah. I've got those safeguards to where my emotions can't go, uh, can't become manipulation or become hype or something mm. like that. Mm. So, I mean, you've got this sort of uh, prophetic workshops you, you, often, you often do. Can you take us through some of the steps, just a, a quick bird's eye view? What, you, what would you do in a prophetic workshop? Well, I have, you know, I wrote a book of a couple few years ago called He Still Speaks, and there's a, a little uh, manual that goes with that. Mm. And, and so from that manual, I developed uh, either six or eight classes in this series. Starts off with hearing from God, you know, making sure we know that we can hear from God. Mm. And then how does prophecy work? Uh, how do we discern if, if we're having a prophecy or if we just had a bad pizza for yeah. dinner? How do we, how do we yeah. decide? And, and then I talk about uh, handling those gifts responsibly. Mm. And I talk about prophetic evangelism, how they're they're not just for the body of Christ, but like uh, um, like Philip in Acts eight, I see the gifts of the Spirit, word of knowledge, prophecy, being used to release uh, yeah. an evangelistic uh, part of us. So mm. I talk about those kinds of things, and I have lots of uh, Q and A as we go along. And then, and each reason I call it a workshop rather than a class is we practice. We have labs, so I'll get folks to uh, prophesying over each other, over their friends, yeah. and and it's pretty amazing. Some things that's come out of that, I love it. And then we will have a we'll do a, a treasure hunt where we will get all these clues, prophetic clues, and then people will go out to Starbucks or wherever they got those clues and yeah. and find their treasures. So it. it uh, usually I can do it over two days, sometimes, you know, ideally three days. And, mm. um, and I try to have classes little, about 50 and under, although I did a class of 500 down with Mike Pilavachi a couple of years ago. It was pretty amazing. That it worked. So yeah. I saw that it worked on a big scale as well as a small yeah. scale. Yeah. So very practical as well as very inspirational. And yes. with all the safety checks that uh, people are around watching, and you know, there's not the wild characters who are giving very obscure things, but uh, there's that little bit of correction coming in where we need it from time to time. But that's the way we learn with anything, isn't it? It's the way you learn with music. You start writing songs and you make your initial first steps and then you develop it. And that's what I want to move on to now because you're a musician. Again, it comes from that feeling heart, that sensitivity. In the Old Testament, they described as skillful. They were able to feel things. And I love this combination of music and the, the prophetic, of seeing something of God's heart 
uh, released. But you've been writing songs for a long time. You've written uh, songs, wonderful songs in your own right. You've also worked a lot with Noel uh, Richards, who will be familiar to many of our listeners here. Uh, you've just written a great one together, uh, which I've, I heard yesterday. So it keeps coming, and that, that, that's great. Um, you've recorded how many albums? Uh, Twelve albums. Twelve albums, and you went. Uh, you did something with scripture and song when you went down to work a lot with uh, Dave and Dale Garrett, who were friend, mutual friends of ours, and uh, that, that was wonderful. I, I, I guess their songs are very much more objective in a sense, aren't they? They're scriptural truth, right? And uh, you know that 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 ob that obviously is a major component of what we want: spiritual truth. But there's something about the heart as well and the response of the heart that I think is powerful. I remember recording one of your songs on my album, An Army of Ordinary People, called The Dancing Song. Yes. Uh, which uh, that was a right job. rocker, that was, eh? <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was one of those songs where I'm going to start this up and I know the room is going to explode. So uh, it was more a case of this, this is a safe song. What am I going to follow this one with? So... Um, You've written some, some great songs, and I want to lead into uh, one of your songs, uh, one of the more recent ones, uh, While You Were Sleeping. And what, what provoked that? Well, I was, uh, I was having trouble sleeping. I just wore myself out, I think, traveling, and I just wasn't resting, and I just was sleeping three to five hours a night. And one night I just said, Lord, I can't, this is not sustainable. And I said, you, you promise in the scripture, sleep for your beloved. Hmm. And, I, and as soon as I said that, I heard the Lord say, be quiet. And the Lord says, be quiet. That's what you ought to do. So, yeah. so I was just quiet. And the next thing I know, this is going to maybe not be hard for some to understand, but he began to sing over me. You know, Zephaniah says he rejoices over us with singing. And I just began to hear this this song, this melody I'd never heard, words I'd never heard. And, and then the next thing I know, I've slept eight hours. The same thing happened the next night and the next night. Mm -hmm. So I, I get up and, I, and I, I remember the words, the chorus, the melody, and I, and I write it all down. And, and, uh, and I said, Lord, what is this just a song? I can't really take credit for writing this song. You sang it over me. And he says, well, I've given you a lullaby mm. for adults. And so I didn't know what to do with it. I, my friend Noel was over and, and he, we looked at it with guitars and we didn't feel to change any of the words, but we, and the guitar was good, mm -hmm. but I kept hearing piano. So I called my friend, friend Tim Shepard, yep. um, who's a worship leader at Gateway Church now, was a contemporary artist for years. And he, he, I said, do you, do you hear anything on the piano with this song? And so he came up with a great uh, refrain and, and just, and the mood was there. And then the next thing I know, um, Robert Morris at Gateway Church asked me to come sing it at his church. And, uh, and we did. And of course, that's a big church. Mm. And there's a tremendous response. And so then Gateway Create uh, uh, who is the publishing arm of Gateway Church, asked me if they could record the song as a deluxe single, mm. which means I record a version, uh, there's a female version, and an instrumental version. Oh, wow. And so that's all available mm -hmm. on all the outlets. And, mm -hmm. and uh, 
And the song, Dave, has just literally gone around the world. It's mm. gone to nations I've never been to. Mm. And I've heard some phenomenal testimonies. Mm. Uh, and so I think a lot of folks say the Lord gave me that song. And, and, and you think, yeah, he was having a bad day when you hear the song. So mm. I'm hesitate, I hesitate to say that, but the Lord gave me that song. Mm. And, I, and I think it's for a purpose. Mm. And I think the purpose is, is to help his people rest mm. and to sleep mm. and uh, so that's what's behind the song and it's it's it just kind of shocked me in june at the uh, uh at the reach that this little song has had now so that's it that's it wayne how can we get it from your website you can probably go to gateway create or you mm. can go to itunes mm. you can go to all the different things have it i, yeah. I can't you know it's not on a it's not on a a, a cd you, you have to download it and yeah. so you can go to all the all no, the outlets all but it yeah. creates the place yeah, to yeah. go yeah what strikes me uh about the song is it, it kind of scratches where people are itching right now because i think there's a an awful lot of restless people at, at night who do find especially when you get to a certain age uh, wake up three in the morning mm -hmm. And uh, that's the time we're most open to attack. Uh, the darkness is all around and our minds start spinning with all kinds of questions, doubts, feelings of inferiority, feelings of shame, feelings of weakness, feelings of inadequacy. They all attack us at that point. And uh, I think your song just ministers so beautifully in a pastoral sense, um, something that's very, very powerful. Um, Again, you know, I was reading um, somebody's written a series of prayers, uh, readings that you can read in the night. They're readings for when you wake up in the, in the middle of the night. And I think things like that touch us deeply and help us in our, in our daily lives. Because often when we wake up in the morning, we're okay, but it's in the middle of the night. So uh, great song there, Wayne. Great. Uh, the the pastoral side because i say this is an interesting combination because prophets usually you know can be quite outspoken and some of them can be aggressive in the way they uh give give prophecy but uh, you have a pastoral edge but that comes out of living a pastoral life because with yourself you have um been a pastor in a, in a church for many many years how many years is that 45 45. So you've handed it over, which is wonderful to, to see. And I, I, I was present when you came to England and you, both of you, older leader and younger leader, and did that exchange in England. Obviously, you'd done it in America before that. Um, but you have a wealth of experience to share with other people. And I know that's how you see yourself very much now as a coach to yes. draw things out of, uh, of people that are latent. How does that work out for you in your in your life right now? Um, well, it, it's I'm I'm still the same. I'm still a pastor, and mm -hmm. I prophesy to nations. And uh, but I find that that it's more about more often with leaders uh, that I'll have relationship with, but not limited to that. I mean, I'm I'm pastoring uh, a coach, uh, two coaches, by the way. Uh, and I'm pastoring business people and, and all pastoring is, is just caring for people. It's just yeah. caring for them, uh, giving them someone to talk to, giving advice if you have it, 
Mm. Or maybe sometimes just listening is the best thing you can do. Mm. But I, at the end of the day, I, a shepherd or a pastor is basically about caring. It's mm. about tending. Um, if I can help someone be encouraged, if I can maybe give them some wisdom uh, to consider in a decision they're trying to make, then it's more along those lines. Now, some have become like sons and daughters in the faith, like I've become a mentor for some mm. and our and our conversations and our life together goes along kind of like mine did with Laddie. Um, but I find uh, my cabbage patch has always been creative people. Yeah. So I find that uh, musicians like yourself and others, I will, uh, I'll have an affinity toward, mm. but also will have a, a legitimate concern and care for. Mm. And so I find myself at a lot of these big events and I get to, uh, and I get to uh, be talking and praying with artists or speakers yeah. behind the scenes. And it's one of my favorite yeah. things to do. I connect the pastoral with the ministry of Jesus, uh, God as a gardener, tending a garden. Mm. And when I think about the prophetic and the creative, I think about God as the consummate artist, Jesus, the great artist. So it all comes back to Jesus always. The two things he told us to do in the beginning, you know, was to uh, be fruitful, take care of the garden, take care of each other. And then he said that to, to subdue or, or minister into the earth. And I feel these days it's a great time for the artist uh, to be able to do what they do full stop and not to try to make it fit into a religious mode. So with the with the great with the new awakening that's happening in Britain and I think America, I think God's going to put the musicians and singers back out in front again. But this time, I think there'll be pastors in the mix that will help take care of folks as they go on. See the creative people who feel things; uh, they hit all sorts of insecurities along the way. Uh, yes. And uh, it's people like you who you know, are needed to encourage and coax and guide. Uh, so I think it's a very, very important role uh, that you play. Um, often they get isolated, you know, yes. misunderstood. Uh, I remember you speaking years ago about Nehemiah, walking around, the, seeing the walls and uh, where are the musicians, where are the, uh, the creative people. It's not just all about the practical and uh, they feel misunderstood, musicians. Is that right? Is that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And and they, if you're a musician and you're in, say, 200 churches a year, mm. sometimes the last thing you want to do is go to a meeting when you're at home on a day off. Mm. And most of your weekends you're working. So there's lots of practical reasons why you get there. So you have to be extra committed to some expression of community mm. i think and uh, you you know the importance of friendship that's what mm. drew me to you and the guys in romford in the very mm. beginning was the relationships that you had mm. that are long-standing even mm. today so and i feel a lot of uh, creatives have fear of all kinds of fears of not being liked not being accepted uh, not doing well all those kind of things and mm. so uh, they need someone that doesn't just want their gift, but wants mm -hmm. them. Yeah. So, so that's why we have friends. So a friend can tell me, Wayne, that was great. 
Uh, and that means a whole lot more than someone I've never met telling me that it's great, although I appreciate those compliments. But when a real friend is just as apt to say, you really weren't up to part of that, Wayne. Uh, you've got a real friend like that, then yeah. that's the sort of day-to-day environment mm. that you can develop a secure uh, uh, ministry or career. Mm. Yeah. Now, our time is short now, and uh, we've talked about the prophetic, we've talked about music, we've talked about uh, the pastoral side, but I want to go back to the prophetic with music, because, you know, we've spoken about in terms of it being communicated through the verbal, but I think um, creative people and the people who are listening to this can benefit from the idea that it's not just the verbal words. It's the feeling, it's the mood and the atmosphere of, of music itself that can be prophetic. Um, in talks about the temple, the musicians prophesied with their instruments. Yes. Any thoughts on that, uh, Wayne, you'd like to elaborate well, on? Well, I think often we have to get out of the way uh, mm. when we're creating a song and just listen so back in back in our in the early days of, of the church and we start experimenting with worship instead of just coming to the end of the song and and one two three four twang it's over we would keep playing the song and we might recognize that the the drummer or the keyboardist there's something on their playing we start to recognize there's something there and like a conductor we would encourage them to play out mm. and then we would hear people say when that drummer was playing i felt the lord speak to me and then they would prophesy yeah. so i feel we need to be aware of the moods like when i wrote the song when i wrote down the song while you are sleeping mm-hmm. it just didn't seem right on guitar mm. and i just kept hearing a piano and i had a friend that was a great pianist so it's not to me it's not enough to just have um the right uh, clever lyrics and or what everybody's doing today Mm. it's the prosody of the of the lyrics with the music Mm. and it's the mood that you're trying to set Mm. so i always i'm not trying to sound super spiritual but i'll always say lord is is this how it should sound uh, mm. Are these? Is there more that I haven't seen? Mm, mm. And so it's like an ongoing dialogue with the Lord as I write. So, yeah. and again, yeah. that's just that's the way it works for me. Yeah. I'm not saying it has to be that yeah. way with everyone. So I guess what we're saying is, don't be limited. Don't just be limited by a form uh, that you've heard before. Be open to new possibilities. You've got the Spirit of God within you. That Spirit. Mm-hmm will lead you to prophesy it may be prophesying over people it might be prophesying over nations who knows but it, it doesn't necessarily always need to be verbal it can be through art it can be through music uh it can be through drama uh through poetry um yep. it's touching people on a deeper level not just the cerebral and not just the emotional it's a combination of all uh, at the core of our being. And I guess what the prophetic does so often is say, behold, you know, th- th- this is, this is uh, New Testament theology, I guess, you know, behold the Lamb of God. Have a look at, think of yeah. these possibilities. Look out beyond just what you know to see something bigger. And I think that's what you so helpfully brought to so many people, thousands of people, throughout not just the last 
decade, but the last 40 years, uh, Wayne. So we're so thankful for that. And I do thank you so much for, for joining on this hidden kingdom. The whole purpose is to bring to light that which is hidden, you know, that, that which God has invested into people to bring it out so that the kingdom is seen by not just church people, but people outside of the church, revealing in a multi-faceted way the kingdom of God, which is love, which is righteousness, which is kindness, which is embracing humanity in the way that Jesus himself did for all of us. Thank you, Wayne, for our conversation. I hope you found that helpful. I certainly have. And I'll see you again soon. Thank you, my friend. It was a real pleasure to speak with Wayne in the way that we did there. I'm sure you could clearly hear through our conversation that Wayne is a man of integrity, a man who clearly puts relationships high on the list of priorities when it comes to ministry. I love the way he combines the pastoral with the prophetic and sees his role to build up encouragement and present new possibilities to the recipient, born out of love, not judgment. I think it provides food for thought for us to launch out, to allow God to speak, not just to us, but as Wayne says, to speak through us in our life and calling.